what is the relationship of the fellow to the collateral item? Being that he's benefiting from it, he is considered a paid watchman. We learned earlier, what is the difference between an unpaid watchman and a paid watchman? There's a significant difference. An unpaid watchman is not culpable for Geneva for petty theft of Aden and the lost object because he's not being paid. Whereas a paid watchman is culpable for that. He's only not culpable for out-of-control things like a holdup or like a wild animal attacking. Being that this guy is a shamer sachar, he is responsible for the lesser type events. Therefore, if the collateral was lost, a nigger where it was stolen through petty theft, then the person, the lender, is culpable. But if something beyond anybody's control occurred, for example, the least of armed robbers look good, least of Mizuyan armed robbers look good, or any other similar scenario, Mishar and of other out-of-control situations, he can take an oath, that it was not in his control, and then the borrower has to pay his debt to the last penny. What about the situation where one person says to the other, Mr. A says to Mr. B, Shmerli, you guard my object, and I'll guard your object. Now, we learned earlier in Ba'ol of Imei that if the owner of the object is contracted by the watchman, then he's exempt from paying. This would be a form of the owner being contracted because he says, you watch mine and I'll watch yours. This means that the watching is taking place together with the owner. So there is an exemption. What if he says another deal here? Listen, you know what? I'm busy today. Watch my sheep. But tomorrow, I know you've got to go out of town. I'll watch your sheep. Shmerli, I aim. You watch for me today. Guard my object today. Tomorrow, I'll guard for you. Hashilani Ayyem, you lend me your object today, Vani Ashil Khalbakar, and I'll lend you my object tomorrow. Shmerli Ayyem, guard for me today, Vashil Khalbakar, and I'll lend you tomorrow. Hashilani Ayyem, lend me today, Vashil Khalbakar, and I'll guard for you tomorrow. There is mutual benefit in all of these scenarios. Kulon Nasu, Shemir Sacha, because there's mutual benefit, they've all become paid watchmen. Zelazeh, one for the other. Now, what about a tradesman? If you bring your watch to the watchmaker to fix, you bring your shoes to the shoemaker to fix, what is the relationship between the watchmaker and your watch? What is the relationship between the shoemaker and your shoes? Is he a paid watchman or an unpaid watchman? I'm glad you asked. Kol Haumonim, all craftsmen. Shemir Sacha, Hain, are paid watchmen because they make a living from this. The Kulon Shaomru, however, any of the above craftsmen who said, Trail Eshacha, your object is ready, come and get it. We'll have a moist and pay money, bring the money and pick it up. the craftsman said to him, I'm done. And as happens quite often, the owner does not pick it up. People get busy. You know, the urgency that people think they had yesterday, they don't necessarily have today. So now it's sitting there. And the guy is obviously watching it for nothing. Now the craftsman becomes a watchman who's not getting paid because he says, your item is done, come and take it. The fact that you're not picking it up, you're making the guy work for nothing. But if the craftsman said, bring money to tell Shalach and come get yours, meaning he wants the money as long as he's trying to get paid, then he's still benefiting because he wants to get the pay, so considered a paid watchman. By the way, there's a very funny story told of a man who found a ticket to pick up his shoes in the shoe store. It was dated 20 years earlier. So he figures, who knows? Maybe the shoe store is still there, maybe the shoes are still there. He walks into the shoe store, he says, I don't know, I found this ticket. I'm wondering if you have my shoes. The guy looks at the ticket, he says, it'll be ready tomorrow. <laughs> it shouldn't happen like it happens. What if he gives an object to a craftsman to fix? Now, listen, you know. In today's world, especially in the physician's world, but even in the general world, they have what's called today malpractice insurance. Your, your, your job is to make something better and you make it worse. Well, do you have a responsibility? Who pays? I mean, how is, how is somebody supposed to do anything? Everybody makes mistakes, things happen. But, but whose liability is it? Whose responsibility is it? The answer is you have to be responsible. No, son, the omenin. But not going to give something to a craftsman to fix the kill cologne. He didn't fix it, he broke it. He made it worse. Chayov in the shalom, the craftsman has to pay. Ketzat, for example. No, son, he gives the a carpenter, sheet a table, a chest, a box, a closet. He wants it to bang a nail in. The sheep run, and as he's banging the nail, he cracks the whole thing and he ruins it. Well, the guy has to pay for it. He gave him raw material to create a chest, a box or a closet. So he created it and then it broke. 
The craftsman has to pay the money. Why? Because why don't you say that the craftsman shares in the improvement and he should only be half culpable? Because a craftsman never acquires the improvement of an object. The object continues to belong to the owner. Another scenario. He gives wool to somebody whose expertise is he dyes wool. I mean, it happens every day. You bring your garments into a dry cleaner. You say, I want this dyed red. You come back and it is ugly. The hik dichato yoyra got burned by the bat and it's disgusting. Then the guy has to pay the money that the wool cost. Why? Because he ruined it. Or it's why what if he did as he was asked to do, but it came out disgusting. And the son of the Swai Odomer gave it to him and told him to die red. It's why Shachar died in black. Shachar black, it's why Odomer died in red. It shouldn't happen like it happens. Nasan eats in the heart, she gives wood to a carpenter, Lassus Mantis, to make a chair. Noah, he says, I want you to create for me a gorgeous chair. He also keeps he created a lousy chair. He also created a bench. He says, I didn't know you wanted a chair, I thought you wanted a bench. If the improvement is more than the expenses, then he gives him the expenses. If the expenses exceed the improvement, then he only gives him the improvement. If the owner of the utensil said, I'm not interested in this improvement, I don't want it. I don't want to pay for it, leave me alone. He should give him the money of the wool, the money of the wood. And that's his claim. And you don't listen to him. Here's the money of your wool. the money of your wood. You don't listen to him. Because the craftsman does not acquire the improvement, so no one can force the other to do other than what we say here, and that is do the best he can. What happens now in the next, uh, in five, and hey, I'm going to talk, and if somebody brings wheat to a person who has a mill, and instead of grinding it properly, he did something improper, and he made it into a lousy product. He gave him bran or coarse flour because he didn't treat it properly with, with moisture or what have, what have you. Or he gave flour to a baker, and he said to the baker, go bake me this bread, and the baker baked him a bread that falls. It's, it's, it's just disgusting. He brought an animal to a butcher, to a shochet, the nibla, and the shochet did something wrong, and it's not kosher. Not that it was by luck not kosher, but by an action of his. His knife was not proper. Chayav and the shalom, all of the above, have to pay because they are paid watchmen. The thing is, therefore, in Oya Tatabach, Mumchet, the butcher or shochet was an expert. The shochet, and he didn't charge, that's something else, because he's an expert and he didn't charge it. The Ain of Mumcha, if he's not an expert, Alpha Bishop King, even though it's free, Chayav Shalom, he's obligated to pay because he can't ruin somebody's thing and just walk away. So also, back then, they would have currency which would be taken away by the government and taken out of circulation. So they go to a banker and make sure the banker says this is still good. So they brought a dinar to a banker, the banker said this is good. Again, this is a craftsman, an expert, who does stuff in his trade, but he has to be able to back it up. Because that's why I'm coming to you, because you know. You know, in our world, you go to a lawyer, you get a lawyer's opinion, and then the FBI comes and arrests you. You say, hey, you gave me a lawyer's opinion. Yeah, do me something, you know. He said it's good, but it turns out bad. In this Haro, if the banker charged him, he's obligated to pay, he's got to stand behind his opinion. Even though the guy's an expert, and he doesn't have to go to school. He's an expert, and he doesn't have to go to school. He's an expert, and he doesn't have to go to school. Because if somebody's not an expert, he shouldn't give opinions. Even though it's free. He always has to say to the banker, listen, my friend, I'm relying on you. That's what you have to say to the lawyer as well. Or the obvious chain of events, show that he's relying on him. You shouldn't show it to anybody else. When the butcher or shochet works for nothing, when he made a trade, also the banker, the money changer, he said, you're gorgeous. When it turns out the government took it away, it's bad. Similar situations. They just have to establish their expertise. If they can't establish their expertise, they have to pay. In the place where the prevailing custom is that if somebody undertakes to plant trees in your field, and the guy who works year after year planting the trees and, and caring for the trees and harvesting, he gets half, and the owner gets half. And he planted, and it made a lot of money. And he planted, and it lost a lot of money. You calculate half the profits, which is the deal. Minus the loss, and he takes the rest. Even if he took out a condition, if he loses, well, you won't take anything. The guy says, I will be your man. I will plant trees, and I will harvest them, and I will care for them. If we, if we lose, I will take nothing. So we learned earlier, this is like a bet. Because when somebody makes a declaration, he doesn't mean it. He can't be relied upon. You don't believe that he meant it. You only deduce, you only reduce, deduct what he lost. If the prevailing culture was that the guy who works the land takes half and the owner takes half, or the sharecropper takes a third, so if the guy planted and it improved up to the stock and he wants to walk away, there's no choice, the owner has to bring a sharecropper in, and he has to do what he has to do to bring in a sharecropper, and the owner gets half. 
which is the deal he made with the original guy, really option Balakarka, Kulmini doesn't have to lose anything. Vipalar Shlish, share property, take a third. And the sixth that's left goes to the guy who planted, try to seal the Kasatsu Gatani because he walked away. Zion, the seventh and last paragraph. Hanitea Ilones with Nehamadina Shivsi. If a guy plants trees on behalf of the members of a city, of a community, the guy he represents that he knows what he's doing. He plants trees and he lost. Everything went wrong. So also a shokhet or a butcher of the community. Made all the animals unkosher. Someone who is bloodletting, who cuts the guy. Or a scribe who messes up the documents. Who violated and didn't accomplish his teaching. You come at the end of the semester and you tell the kid, no, what did you learn? He learned nothing. Or he taught him the wrong thing. Instead of teaching him Olives, he taught him Shakespeare. So also any experts in their crafts. She actually can't reverse the loss. The guy who was supposed to plant trees for the whole community didn't know what he was doing. And he messed up everything. How could he reverse the loss? The shokhat made everything trade because his knife was trade. He was sloppy. The teacher didn't know what he was doing. The kids are ignorant. You know, we have a, in, in today's world, in certain public school systems, teachers are paid a lot of money and they work for the rest of their lives, whether they live or not, because that's the union and so on and so forth. And then the kids can't read. Why can't they read? Well, I don't know. I was just a teacher. So the law is that all of the above, the tree planter, the shokhat, the blood letter, the scribe, the teacher can be fired without warning. Because this type of negligence, they are considered warm because they just did not meet the obligations. Needless to say, by definition, they have to work and succeed. Being that they were appointed by the community, the community has certain valid expectations. End of chapter 10. Rambam, Mishnah Torah. Hilcha is the laws of Schirus, among other things, hiring employees. Mitzvah Aseh, chapter 11. This has nothing to do with the financial chapter 11. Aleph 1, Mitzvah Aseh, it is a positive commandment, leading to give schar, the pay. The salary, hasochir of an employee, bismano, in a timely way. How many people do not pay their employees in a timely way? And they tell them, manana, I'm working on it, and the lech vashuv, come and go. This is a terrible transgression. Shanemar says the pasuk, biyomo, on the day that it's due, titen, you shall give skoro his wage, and not be late in payment. Be'im if, for some reason, he procrastinates and pays late. Aiver below sasa, he transgresses a negative commandment. Shanemar, as the Torah says, velo tavo alabashemesh, let not the sunset before you pay the employee. Now, ordinarily, when there's a negative commandment, there could be an application of lashes if there are witnesses who go to Bedin and so on. In this case, they ain't looking, although it's not possible for there to be lashes. Why? Because whenever it's possible to correct the negative commandment with the exercise of a positive commandment, there aren't any lashes. Here, there's a simple correction. Just pay them. Because he's still obligated to pay. Now, does this only apply to a salary for an employee? Whether you're paying salary for a person's work, or you leased or rented an animal from someone, you rented a car, or other type of utensils, computer leasing, the Torah obligates payment in a timely way. And if the time passed, and now it's past that time, and we're going to talk about the exact time and the mechanism, oh, very transgresses below tasa, a negative commandment. Now, this mitzvah applies from Jew to Jew. What about a resident alien, meaning a non-Jew who accepted the sovereignty of the Jewish people over Israel and accepted the seven Noahide laws, but he's not a Jew, he eats non-kosher and so on, but still he's part of the community. He also falls under this obligation of pay his salary and the right time. However, if it was delayed, here there is not the transgression of the negative commandment. And here he gives some background in Basin 2. If anybody holds back the wage of an employee, it's as if he took the soul away. There are various interpretations. One interpretation is he took the soul of the employee away. The guy worked and he didn't get paid. As it says in the Chumash, and the other is he took his own life by holding back the payment of the employee. Because of this, he puts his life in his hands when people are employees. They endanger themselves. They climb tall buildings and they do all kinds of dangerous things, hopping from tree to tree, picking fruit. As Alfredo says, very, very dangerous. So at least pay the guy. And a person who doesn't pay the employee transgresses the Arba Azhores, four admonitions, four negative commandments, and one positive. He transgresses, not to oppress someone, not paying someone when you owe him his oppression. Not robbing from him, not to pay him what you owe him is robbery. Not to allow the salary of an employee to sleep overnight. You gotta pay, you can't go to sleep. Don't let the sun set. And we're soon gonna see these verses fit into different time zones. On the day you shall give him his reward. So what is the right time to pay an employee? Well, it depends 
how the employee is employed, what his time frame is. If the employee is a daytime employee, he works nine to five, he has a daytime job. Then five o'clock comes and his time for work is completed. His time for collecting his wages all night, which means we give the employer all night to get funds. Let him go to his credit union, let him go to his mother-in-law. You have all night to get funds. All of them are disregarding this day worker that the verse says, do not allow the payment of the employee to sleep with you at night until morning. You have all night. Once morning comes, boom, the major transgressions kick in. Why? Because the guy finished working when the sun set. Now the sun is rising. You have violated. What if the guy is a nighttime employee? He's hired to work at night. His time for collecting his wages all day. When the sun rises, it's time to get paid. And, he, and the boss is given all day. The Ola, regarding this employee, the verse says, on his day, you shall give the reward, the, the, the pay. Why be Yomo? Because he worked all night. So you have the 12 hours of the day. What about an hourly paid employee if he is paid hourly? In other words, he's hired for a few hours by day. He collects all day. Someone who's hired for a few hours at night. Collects all night. The payment of someone who's hired for a week. Shabbos, a week. The payment of someone who's hired for a month. The payment of somebody who's hired for a year, an annual employee. Someone who's hired for a seven-year sabbatical span. If his employment ends by day, he has all day to get the money to this employee. Well, that's all he has. Why? Well, he had a week or a month or a year or seven years to worry about. If he leaves employment at night, he has all that night. Once the next 12-hour period hits, he is now in violation of all of these mitzvahs. Gimel, what about when somebody has someone do stuff for him, such as, he gives his garment to a tailor. He says to the tailor, I want you to take in these pants, take out the pants, fix it, pocket, clap it. Or, or I want you to sew this garment for me, make it anew, and he finishes it. And the tailor lets him know. He calls him and he says, I want you to know, your pants are ready. I feel even if the customer is 10 days late. The tailor called him 10 days ago. Is he in violation? No. Because man shall be as long as the tailor has the pants, as long as the shoemaker has the shoes, as long as the doctor has the virus. No, just kidding. He doesn't transgress. What if he gave it to him in midday? As soon as the sun sets, he violates the mitzvah of not allowing the salary to sleep with the employer. Because the, uh, contract work is like salary work. Just because he contracted a guy, you can't procrastinate his pay. You've got to pay on time. So when you pick up the pants, you've got to pay in that 12-hour period. Moving right along, if somebody says to his agent, say, he says to his foreman, listen, go hire workers for me. I've got a project, go hire employees. So the guy goes, the agent goes and says to the employees, and we learned many of these laws earlier, the boss is going to pay you. I'm not hiring you, I'm here on behalf of the boss. Neither of them transgress the commandment of non-payment. The agent, because he didn't hire them. I'm sorry, the owner, because he didn't hire him, the agent, because they're not working for him. So they kind of get away on a technicality here. If he did not say to them, the boss will pay you, the agent transgresses, because he hired them. Technically, the employer does not transgress this transgression unless the employee demanded his pay. He said, I'm here for my pay. And he did not give it to him. But the guy never came to collect. He never came to the office to collect. Or he did collect him. And he simply did not have the money to pay. It's not that he had the money. He didn't have the money. Or he directed him to someone else. He told him to go to the office where they'll pay him. There's various interpretations here. And he accepted it. And he's a potter, then he's technically exempt. Of course, he has to see that the guy should get paid. Uh, but simply by engaging with him, he softens the blow here. Hey, Hamashes, somebody holds back the salary of an employee after the time. Even though he already transgressed, he violated positive and negative commandments. So the guy should not say, hey, I already transgressed, who cares? But he still has to give him right away anyway, the moment that he realizes it. And every moment he'll hold on to it longer. Everybody transgresses. As the verse says in Proverbs chapter 3, don't keep telling people go and come, and so on. Any employee who was hired in front of witnesses, he then came to the boss and he said, no, time to pay me. And the owner, the boss says, pay you? I paid you. And the employee says, I took nothing. So there's a dispute. I did pay you, I didn't pay you. 
What else is not? That's why they have video cameras. Kitnu Chachamim are sages ordained. She Yishava Hasachir Vilekitas Chayfes that the employee should hold a holy object like a door or a stone. Take an oath you did not pay me the and collect. Kedim Kol Nishba Vilekitas like the law of anyone who swears and collects. Why? Because it's more likely that the employee remembers not being paid than that the employer remembers paying because the employer has a lot of employees. And the Shabbat Lavai started the Pe'ilah. The boss is busy with his employees. This Hasachir, this guy is one guy working for his money. They say Nafshu was his life hangs in the balance. Furthermore, Afilo Yasachir Kotn even if the employee was a minor. What about child labor laws? Hasachir Nishba Vilekitas the employee child can take an oath, even though there is a question as to whether a child can take an oath, and collect, because this is his pay. However, if you hire him without witnesses, all the above is if there were witnesses in the transaction. If you hire him with no witnesses, because the employer could always say, it never happened. I never hired you. You must be dreaming, hallucinating. I don't know what you're smoking. Whitefish. Now, is believed to say, I hired you, and I paid you. Because he has what we call amigo. If he wanted to lie, he could have said, I don't know you. The fact that he says, I know you, I hired you, and I paid you, we should believe him. However, the boss should swear. Hesis, a rabbinical, she knows that he did pay. Hey, or in case he says, I paid you half, that's called Moda Bemixus. Shuas Hatora, a biblical oath, he might have if he confessed to half. Kishara Tang is like any other litigation situation. What if he had one witness that he hired him? Even though in some cases, one witness obligates an oath, here it doesn't help. So he didn't demand till later. Even though he hired him with witnesses, here, once the time is off, now it's just an obligation. What is the rule? Possession is nine tenths of the law. Or literally, when somebody wants to take something that belongs to someone out of their possession, the burden of proof is upon him. So he has to prove that he was hired and that he worked and he wasn't paid. Because the term did not just end. If he couldn't bring the proof, Yeshua Balabayas says, and the owner can take a rabbinic oath that he did pay. What if he brings proof that he kept nudging every day and every minute? What do you mean I didn't demand? I demand and I demand and I demand, and it's like talking to myself. All the rest of the day of the demand, he can take an oath and collect. For example, if he worked with him on Monday until evening, the time of payment is all Monday night. But once Tuesday comes, that period is gone, and he can't take an oath and collect. He should have done that Monday night. But if he brought witnesses that he was demanding all Monday night, which is when he should have, then, because of these witnesses, he can swear and collect the next day, but the next night, he has the old burden of proof rule, which means the leniency that the law has, sympathetic to the employee, only works in that moment. Or if he brings witnesses that he was demanding until Thursday, we give him an extension to go to court, take an oath, and collect all Thursday. Here comes the old question, we learned this earlier. The boss says, I promised you two zoos a day. And the employee says, what are you talking about? You promised me three a day. Here, our sages did not act leniently towards the employee ordaining that he can take an oath and collect. Here they invoke the law of, you want to take something out of it, you want three, you bring proof. There is no proof, don't you have a document, you have witnesses. Even though you already gave him two, he said, go. The owner can swear and he says, I took care of him. Why is this? Actually, our sages ordained this. In order that the worker not be totally prostrated. When there's a supply, you should agent, you hire him with witnesses. And the witnesses knew that he hired him, but he didn't know for how much. Or twice his money, and the demand came in a timely way. Or after the time, he shall buy his assets, but the owner take the rabbinic oath. He only agreed to two, and he paid him. Or there was nothing left, he told him, take and go. He didn't call offenders like any other claims. Somebody gives his garment to a tailor. You promised me two. The customer says, I promised one. As long as the worker, the tailor, has a garment in the if there is a possibility under the circumstances that the tailor could say, I bought it from you, it's in my store, I own it. So this is called a migui. If I want to lie, I have a better lie. Because he has that strength, he can actually take an oath holding a holy object and collect it too. And he can say that he's entitled to his payment up to the amount. However, he no longer has the garment, he gave it back to the customer. Or he didn't establish ownership of it, it's not in his store long enough. Then for some reason he can't argue that he purchased it. Then you have to bring proof. Then the Taylor has to bring proof because he wants to collect. But he can't bring proof. Then the owner of the garment can take a rabbinic oath, or if he admitted to half, a shuas or Torah oath, if he confessed to half, like all other claims, because this does not have the leniency which the Torah gives to an employee. Test the closing paragraph. 
When a worker, an employee, comes to take an oath, usually oaths are done in a very serious, serene way, and we're very demanding of the guy who's taking the oath. Here we are less demanding. Furthermore, we learned earlier the principle of Gilgul, Shul. Once a guy's taking an oath, you can also make him swear that he didn't do this and he didn't do this. And you can go to other situations here. We don't allow the Gilgul, Shul process. He just takes an oath. He says, I didn't get paid, and he gets paid. There is no leniency process for all those who take oaths. With the exception of the employee, the Torah was extremely lenient to the employee. And we open them, we say to him, don't get upset. He Take and go. Take an oath and go. And again, the Torah is very sensitive to the employee because he's just a simple guy. He's working to make a living and the process is bogging him down. So we have special sympathy to the employee. Even if his payment was only one pruta, a pruta is the minimum currency that we deal with in halakha. Which means, he doesn't have to be trying to collect a hundred dollars or a million dollars, even one pruta, that's his wage. And the boss says, I paid it. Even for one pruta, we make him take an oath. We shouldn't say it's only one pruta, give it to him. It doesn't work that way. In fact, I, I've explained many times and... and it's a very important rule. Din pruta, kedin meya. In Torah law, the law of one coin, one pruta, which we would call a penny, except that it's more than a penny, is the same as the law of $100 or a million dollars. Why? In Jewish law, there is no small claims court. There are no small claims. It's the idea. How much of the detail? So therefore, the guy says, only a pruta. It's a whole process. I, I've shared the story in the past. My father, of blessed memory, was also my teacher for many years. And when I was a kid, I don't want to date myself, but when I was a kid, baseball cards were very big. I mean, I can't even tell you how big. And so uh, I had a dispute with a friend. I said it was my baseball card, he said it was his baseball card. So we went to my father. Was a teacher, also a rabbi, and we had a dispute. My father says, What are you doing? How can I'll buy you both a new pack of cards? I said, Uh uh-uh, uh, I said, You taught us if there's a case dealing with one, what is a baseball card? Chop liver. But the only question is that the chewing gum wasn't kosher, so I mean, I'm not even gonna go there. Okay, so that's the din pruto, anyone who swears and takes, I feel like even if the issue is only one pruto, the minimum currency, the minimum amount, the oath has to be as if it was a Torah issue, as if it's a major issue. End of chapter 11. Rambam Mishnah Torah, Hilchais, the laws of Schirus, employees, Patriarch Name also, chapter 12. Here comes a very important law. Is the employee allowed to eat on the job? What if he has a job that deals with food? What if the guy's job is to roll and wrap and cut and trim sushi? Is he allowed to eat sushi? And would be cruel if he said no. Then again, he can eat up all the profits. Aleph, Hapayalim, workers, who are working and performing activities, which grow from the ground. We're talking about stuff that grows from the ground. I don't think sushi, although it has some ingredients that grow from the ground, but sushi doesn't grow from the ground. Sushi comes from sushi stores. It's not complete yet, meaning the thing grows from the ground, but it's not ripe yet. Whether the item has been harvested or it's still attached to the ground, and that which they do completes the task. Because of these conditions, the owner should permit the employee to eat from that which they work with. There's actually a verse which seems to be a very confusing verse. There's an interesting verse. I got a lot of questions on this verse. It says, If you enter into the vineyard of your fellow, you can eat grapes, but you can't put it in your bag, in your attache case. This is the strangest verse in the world. I can come into my friend's vineyard and eat his grapes? That's stealing. The answer is, of course you can't. We're talking about an employee. If the guy enters his friend's vineyard and he works there, then he can eat grapes on the job, but he can't take it in his takeaway, in his bag, in his satchel. Because of it says, If you enter into the standing grain field of your fellow, tradition teaches us, the oral law teaches us, he can't just go into somebody's grain field and, and, and harvest grain. <laughs> it's out of the question. He can't go into somebody's vineyard and pluck grapes. The Torah is talking about an employee. Aha! The employee is picking grapes. How could you not let him eat a few grapes? If he didn't hire this guy to harvest grapes, what's he, what's he doing in his friend's vineyard? He's trespassing. In the grain field. In his grain field, without permission. But this is the intent of the verse. When you enter into the domain of the owner of the vineyard or the field, because you're working, you may eat. Now, too, what is the difference between someone who is working with something already harvested or something still attached? Because if somebody is working with something that has been reaped already, he eats that object actually until his job is done. Once his job is done, also he's forbidden to eat. He already packaged it, it's done, he can't eat. If he's working with something still growing, for example, he's harvesting grapes or reaping grain, 
until he has completed his work, the opposite wall. For example, she yipsa yarvis, beat in basal, and he puts it in the basket. Dachim malenu until he fills it. He napes asal makamachar, and then he puts them away in another place. The yamzav yipsa malenu when he fills another basket, or he fills the same basket because he emptied it out. Then he ela ad achar shemal yasal. He can't munch grapes until the basket is full. Once the basket is full, then he can have some. However, because our sages were sensitive that we need to return lost objects to their owners, which means even if a lost object is lost, you have to return it. How much more so this isn't lost? Our sages say, that it's okay and it's better for the worker to eat as they walk from task to task. coming back from the wine vat where they were squeezing the grapes, we don't want the workers sitting down and having a break. They'll take a 15 minute break and they'll eat grapes. Better they should eat on the job. Let them eat during the labor. They're walking, that way they won't lose time because after all, time is what employment is all about. Somebody takes time from his job and he's sitting and eating. Or he ate not at the right time because the object that he's working with is not done yet. He transgresses a negative commandment. Do not lift a sickle against your fellow's ring. As long as he's harvesting, he can't take a sickle and cut because he's still in the harvesting process. Or anything similar. So also a worker is carrying in his hand that which he did. He took more than he ate and he gives it to his friends. He's on the job. He takes some grapes and he says, "Here, here, my friend. Go ahead. You can take it. I'm working with this." That's thievery, stealing. He transgresses the negative commandment. You may eat on the job, but you can't put it in your utensils. You can't give it to your friends. But these negative commandments have no lashes applicable. He carried it to someone else. He has to pay. It becomes a financial matter. If somebody's milking an animal, if somebody's making butter, if somebody's processing cheese, he can't eat on the job. Because milk, butter, and cheese do not grow from the ground. They come from cows. A person is hoeing, H-O-E, around onion heads and garlic heads. Even his job is to rip out the small ones from the big ones. He's not completing the job of his job. He's not completing the task. Very important law. Needless to say, watchmen who watch gardens or orchards or watchmen who guard anything that grows from the ground that's still connected. Like cucumbers and gourds. A watchman cannot walk over to the tree and pluck stuff and eat. Out of the question. He's not considered an employee working with the object. He's guarding the object. The first thing he needs to do is guard it for himself. A person separating dates and figs, which has already been harvested, because now they are so complete that the tithing mitzvah kicks in. We learned the tithing mitzvah in great detail, that the tithe has to be given to the lady, and if it's not, then the item may not be eaten. Somebody's working with grain. For example, they were hired to remove pebbles from grain, to sift the kernels, or grind them. Because the challah process did not yet kick in, because the task is not yet complete. If somebody needs dough, if somebody bastes loaves, if somebody bakes it, he does not eat in the because the challah obligation already kicks in. You're not allowed to eat of it until challah is taken. An employee may not eat from an item unless it is not yet trans, uh, has not yet gone into the category of it being obligated for challah or masa for the heave offering of the dough or the tithing. If the cake of figs, figs are pasted together in a cake, was broken up or his barrels of wine opened up, or his gourds were cut, and his job is, or he hires workers to see to it to deal with these issues, to press the figs back into cakes, to seal the wine barrels, or to perform any other activity that has to be performed. These people may not eat, because this was already done, and they were set for tithing by the devil, so they are forbidden to use before the miser process. However, if he did not notify the workers that this is the situation, that his obligation is to take the tithe and to feed the workers. Any workers that ever work in the holy, meaning in objects belonging to the holy temple, you don't eat from holy temple things, only from private stuff. In the vineyard of your fellow, not in the vineyard of the holy temple fund. We know that the produce of the fourth year is similar to the second tithe, must be taken to Jerusalem, or must be redeemed and the money taken to Jerusalem, and eaten in a state of sanctity. What if he hired workers to eat in the plantings of the fourth year? They may not eat of it, because it's holy, it's forbidden. If he didn't let them know, then we force him to pray to redeem it, and he feeds them. He feeds them. If somebody harvests Vadosh, and he reaps, he reaps, he threshes, he winnows, and he picks unwanted from wanted matter. And 
he harvests olives, while baits are grapes, or anything similar, all of the above may eat by Torah law. Watchmen of bats, or grain heats, anything that is severed from the ground, but they're not ready for tithing yet. By local convention, they may eat, meaning by the local custom. Because a guard is not like someone who works, we learned earlier. Abel also they guard, but if he does work, maybe the other may be with his hand or with his feet, with his shoulders. The Torah gives him the right to eat. So the first case is where he's like not really working. So our sages said it's okay to eat, but if he is actually working, the Torah says yud. If somebody's working with figs, he can't eat the grapes. Right next to the figs are grapes. He figures I don't like figs. I like grapes. You're not working with grapes. If he's working with grapes, you're not eat with figs. As it says becherem in a vineyard, vineyard, you eat grapes. He said the captain when you're working in this vineyard, you can't go to the next vineyard because the grapes are better. You can only eat from the vineyard you're working. He can't eat grapes and then other stuff. He can bring some goodies with him from home. He'll have some, you know, some stuff with the grapes. He shouldn't eat it with bread, with milk and salt. We're afraid he's going to start adding stuff to the guy's grapes. He's just going to keep eating endlessly. We don't want it to be too tasty. You don't want to eat the whole process of it. What if he made up an amount of what he's allowed to eat, the volume? In that case, if he has an agreement that allows him to eat a certain volume, he may eat that volume, maybe vanilla with salt, maybe pasta with bread, maybe called or anything else he wants to. Also, the player loves one of them. Now, a worker is forbidden to suck out the juice from the grapes because, you know, you can do that all day. And you'll just kill the whole crop. You can eat the grapes, not the juice. Furthermore, you shouldn't have his team there, his wife and his kids. And they're going to go and parch and roast the kernels of grain over the fire. Again, that's going to make it eat a lot of grain. You'll eat as much grapes, as many grapes as you want to. Grapes as they are. With grain as they are. Not have a team parching them for you. Now the halacha says, although we said earlier that the employee is permitted to eat, he can't eat. Mucho, mucho. You can't eat in a gluttonous way, as it says, whatever satiates your soul. However, he can contain himself and not eat until he gets to the best part of the grapes. He'll starve himself until he gets to the great AAA, and then he'll eat. Why fill himself on the junk? He can eat cucumbers, even a dinner's worth. And he can eat dates, even a dinner's worth. That's a large coin. Even though he was only hired for one-sixth of a dinner. So he's eating more than he's paid. The Torah is not concerned whether he eats more than he's paid or not. If he works, he's entitled to eat. That's part of the expenses. Abel, however, we should train people. A person should be trained. That he shouldn't be a pig. He shouldn't be a glutton. Because what's going to happen is he's going to develop a reputation and no one is ever going to hire him. Then he's going to wonder why he doesn't get a job. What if he's guarding four or five grain heaps? He shouldn't stuff his stomach from one of them. He should have a little bit from each one. There are workers who are working in the vat. I guess they're pressing wine. And they didn't go horizontally and vertically. They didn't go in both directions. So they did not yet establish themselves as wine employees. They may eat grapes. They may not drink wine. Because up to this point, they've only dealt with grapes. Once they go in both directions, in the vat, lengthwise and laterally, they can eat of the grapes, and drink of the wine, because they're occupied in their job with grapes, and with wine. What if an employee said, I'll tell you what, I'm entitled to eat. Here are my wife and kids. They haven't eaten for days. Let me give them what I'm entitled to eat. I won't eat, but they'll eat. Or he says, I'm going to give a little bit of what I took for myself. For my wife and kids, we do not listen to him. Not, not permitted. Bottom line is, he can't take anything off the job. The Torah did not give this privilege only to the worker. Furthermore, what if somebody took a vow of a nazir that he won't drink wine and he won't eat grapes? It's his muzzle. He's working with grapes. He's not allowed to eat grapes. He says, listen, have compassion on me. Let me give my wife some grapes. Let me give my wife, my kids, and Only you. You can't eat grapes? Tough. Next time, work with sushi. There's a worker who was working with his team, he and his wife and his children and his servants. He may come to an agreement with the owner. He says, listen, my team, we will not eat as we work. Like who? Not he and not them. And I guess his intent was that he'll get the job or he'll get a better salary. Because the fact of the matter is that employees eat when they work, it consumes. Then because they came to this agreement, they may not eat. We've learned hundreds of times earlier, any agreement in business is an agreement. 
you have a right to say to the employer, I don't have to eat, I forgo. Here's a very interesting law, and this is a closing law. If everybody is of majority age, everybody's grown up, they have intelligence, and they forewent, they forego this. And they just said it's okay. But children, children don't know how to forego anything. And if they do, it doesn't count. And you can't enter into a position with a child because the children who are there with their father, they're not eating their father's food. And they're not eating the boss's food. They're eating heavenly food. They're eating Hashem's food. Because Hashem said, when you work, you can eat. And these are children. Hashem gave them the entitlement to eat. End of chapter 12.